Let's have a word of prayer as we start. Father, as we come again and to your word and deal with this important issue of what it means to be a spiritual person, I pray that uh, your spirit will be our teacher, that your word will be illuminated, and that you'll help us to have the wisdom to apply the things that we learn to our lives today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What we have done together is we've spent a couple of sessions examining our roots, looking at some of the theological traditions, five of them to be exact, that address the vital issue of what it means to be sanctified, what it means to be a spiritual person. We've tried to draw some principles that all have in common. We've tried to highlight some of the differences as kind of a personal agenda for your future study as you wrestle through the questions that, uh, that Christians have wrestled through for centuries. And last time and today, we're going to look more biblically at the commands of Scripture that relate specifically to the Holy Spirit. There are four of them that I have found that specifically relate to the person of the Spirit. There's, there's, of course, many more that relate to the spiritual life, but that relate to the person of the Spirit. And we looked at three of them last time. Don't quench the Spirit. Don't grieve the Spirit. And walk in the Spirit. And just as a uh, kind of a summary or a reminder of, of these first three, let me suggest a couple of things that I think we learned from those three commands. We look first at the command, quench not the Spirit. Don't put out the Spirit's fire. And I would draw from this the lesson that we grow in community. The context is corporate. The context is the body of Christ. And therefore, we need to encourage each other to exercise our spiritual gifts in the body. Don't quench the Spirit as He manifests Himself through others in the exercise of their spiritual gifts. Because we grow in community. We can't grow alone. The second command was don't grieve the Spirit. Ephesians 4. Here the reminder is that we grow in holiness. Don't speak or think hateful things toward others because that grieves the Spirit of God. What an amazing idea. That we as His creatures could do things that would sadden, bring sadness to God. How much He must love us. That he would be grieved. You see, grieving is not only a personal characteristic, but grieving really only comes back when there's comes about when there's a loving relationship. You know, if uh, if my computer fails, grieving is not usually what comes to my mind. Anger, maybe, but you know, I'm not grieved by my computer because I don't really love it. Grieving is a, is a quality of a loving relationship. And in this passage that we looked at, it was in the context of how we use our tongue, how we speak toward others, how we think, issues of malice and lying. And those grieve the Spirit of God because He loves us and is hurt by the way we may mistreat others. A third reminder comes from 
one of the uses of the command, walk in the Spirit. And one of the uses is the word peripateo, to walk around with the Spirit, in Galatians 5. Reminder here is we grow in relationship. In relationship with God, in relationship to the Spirit of God, as well as relationship with others. So, stay close to the Spirit every day. Walk around with the Spirit, because that's how relationships thrive. Relationships certainly depend on a commitment to one another. But if you make a commitment to one another, but never stay together, or are separated all the time, relationships struggle. And our relationship with the Spirit of God will struggle if we don't stay connected every day. We don't walk around every day, step by step with Him. The fourth reminder from our discussion last time comes from that other command to walk in the Spirit. Where the, diff- the other word, stoikomen, is used. My observation here is we, go through, we grow through discipline. Stay in formation with the Spirit. That's the word, to walk in a line. Because He shows us the pathway to godliness. We've got to keep in step with the Spirit. We've got to stay in formation. Because if we get out of line, He's leading us to the way of godliness. And if we don't stay up with Him, stay in formation with Him, we begin to lag behind. So, just some reminders and some observations from those first three commands as to uh, some emphases in our spiritual growth that I think grow out of those commands. So that's by way of review. Now we want to look at the fourth command together. Be Spirit-filled. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Ephesians 5.18. I would be surprised if you have not studied this before. I would be very surprised if uh, Pastor Joe hasn't taught on the book of Ephesians and uh, has covered this. But I find in my own life, and I bet you do too, that it's always good to uh, even cover familiar ground because uh, new insights can come about. Now, I want this to be a little more interactive you were a little quiet on the prayer question, okay? So, I want, uh, I want you... To, we're a smaller group. We're familiar with one another, so I want this to be a little more interactive. I'm going to uh, talk a little bit about the context of this and some of the different interpretations, but I'm going to ask you to help me evaluate some of these. And I think you can just by looking uh, at the context. And then later, when we come to some applications, I want you to interact a little bit with me on what some implications of these things might be, okay? So be prepared. Uh, If nobody says anything, I might call on somebody. Janie, I might even call on you. Okay. Ephesians 5. We talked a little bit about the context when we talked about Ephesians 4 last night. So this is a little bit of review. I just put it on the overhead. But Ephesians is basically divided into two major sections. Chapters 1 to 3 are more doctrinal. Paul often does that in his letters. He starts out with his doctrinal basis. And then 4 to 6 is more practical or more applicational. And 4 and 5, chapters 4 and 5, can kind of be organized or outlined by this little word, walk 
NIV that I'm using often uses the word live, but walk is actually the word that's being used. So, here are the, really the five points of these chapters. Walk worthy of your calling, 1 to 16, and the emphasis there really is on unity. And then, don't walk as Gentiles, but walk as a new person in Christ, not in futile thinking. And there the emphasis is on holiness, of, of setting aside the old lifestyle and, and walking as a new person. Chapter 5, verses 1 to 7, walk in love, just as Christ. Follow, follow Christ's example of love. And there he talks about sexual immor- immorality, the wrong expression of love, but walk in Christ-like love. 5, 8 to 16, he kind of come back, comes back to the theme of holiness. Walk as children of light. You're not in darkness, but walk in light. And then, in the passage that we want to look at, he says, walk as wise, not as foolish. So I'm going to read this paragraph, and it's within this paragraph that we find our command, be filled with the Spirit. So follow with me as I read from verse 15 on. Paul says, be very careful then how you live or how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And submit to one another out of reverence. And then he uh, begins a section of Scripture which uh, the Germans call the Haustoffel, the house table. How relationships between husbands and wives, children and parents, masters and servants uh, are played out. That's the context. Walk as wise. And within this is our command. Be filled with the Spirit. Now, just a couple of observations before we get into some uh, interpretations of this. One is the obvious thing to remember. It's a command. It's a command given to believers. He's writing to believers. And by application, it's a command for us that can be obeyed. And it's a present imperative. That is, it's not a one-time thing. You don't seek for a, a, a point of, of uh, filling, and then once you've reached that point, then you're full. It's a repeated, daily process. That's why this command is not used for the dedication viewpoint, which kind of sees it often as a major point. But uh, most that hold to dedication sanctification see this as an ongoing, regular process. Second observation is it directly involves the Spirit of God. Be filled with the Spirit. Not everyone agrees with that, but we'll talk about that in a minute. And then thirdly, it involves... A ministry called filling. And I'm going to suggest that that's distinct from other ministries of the Spirit. I don't know if you're aware of it, but there are many things that the Spirit does. Convicting, regenerating, 
indwelling, baptizing, sealing, gifting, illuminating. A study of the ministries of the Spirit, which we're not going to do this morning, but is a wonderful, wonderful study. And I teach uh, the doctrine of the Spirit at Multnomah. And uh, one of my, this is actually one of my favorite topics, so don't get me started. But the, the multiplicity of things that the Spirit does. And many of these things, regenerate, convicting kind of leads up to it, but regenerating, indwelling, baptizing, sealing, and, and gifting, all begin the moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ. That the Spirit comes in you and, and a whole variety of ministries happen just like that. So, part of what it means to be a new creation, not all, but part of it means that you have the Spirit of God that begins within you a whole variety of wonderful things. So, uh, all I want to say is, the Bible is very deliberate about terms that it uses. And I believe the fact that he uses filling here, and not one of the other terms, baptizing, sealing, regenerating, and dwelling, is significant. It's not the same. So I'm going to assume it's different. It could be that we conclude that it's, some, it's the same, it's a synonym for something else. But let's not begin with that assumption, because the Bible uses terms uh, very deliberately. And he doesn't say, be baptized, be regenerated, be indwelt. Which wouldn't make, it make sense, because that happens to, to people when they become believers. He's talking to believers. It's some other kind of ministry. And that's what we want to look at. You with me so far? Let's, be, let's practice our interaction. With me? Yes. Oh, very, very good. Okay. Now, I want to present to you uh, four interpretations... Um, I don't, not all of these are, are equally strong. And they, and they interpret this little phrase, be filled with the Spirit differently. Now, I don't want you to get all concerned about how they translate it, though I'll put that up to show the difference. But there are some, some significant differences of how this is interpreted. So I'm going to present these to you, and then I'm going to ask you to kind of, after each one, to kind of, uh, um, Look at the context and to see what are the strengths and weaknesses of this particular, uh, particular view. The first one would translate this, be filled in the Spirit. And, that, and that's a legitimate translation. And this is the view, really, of Pentecostal theology. How do you be filled with the Spirit? Well, you seek empowerment through Spirit baptism. So this is a position that actually sees filling and spirit baptism as the same thing. Now, I'm not going to take a lot of time with this one, uh, but I'll just say I, I don't think the evidence for this is real strong. But it requires a discussion of, which we've touched on a little bit, of uh, what, what spirit baptism means. And are there two baptisms or one? Pentecostal theology says there's two, as you remember. There's a baptism that every believer experiences when they're saved of being placed in the body of Christ. But there is a second baptism that you should seek for in which you receive special empowerment. And I told you the story of the two uh, students that I had, the physician and the attorney, 
uh, in my class. And their question is, why don't you believe in a second baptism? And my answer was, because I don't find any commands in Scripture that were to be baptized. I don't, I don't, the uses of spirit baptism, the seven uses all suggest it's something that happens to you, not something that you seek. There's other things you seek, but spirit baptism is something that happens to you. And it happens to you, according to 1 Corinthians 12, the minute you put your faith in Christ. Well, they said, well, no, of course, there's, there's Ephesians 5. Be filled with the Spirit. I said, well, wait a minute. That doesn't say spirit baptism. It says be filled. So can you show me why that is spirit baptism? And we had a fascinating discussion. But one of the issues then is filling and baptism one and the same. And even in Pentecostal theology, it can't be. Because filling in this passage is a command to believers that's to be done repeatedly. And even Pentecostal theology doesn't believe that you should be baptized by the Spirit every day. It's a one-time thing. So, the nature of the command, the context, uh, the different words suggest that spirit baptism really isn't in view here. Uh, but there's something else. So, we're not going to interact a little bit, too much more with that one. Uh, it's another discussion. But I want you to know that's one interpretation that holds. I don't think it's the best. I want to look at the other three uh, a little bit more. Fair enough? Okay, the second view, and this is a very popular view, in fact it may be the right one, who knows, is be filled with the Spirit. This view would interpret it, yield yourself to the Spirit's control. Now the reason I add these interpretations is, if I were to tell you now, I want you to obey this command, be filled with the Spirit, what would be your natural question? How do I do that? So what I'm trying to do is give interpretations that, that try to clarify. Now, what am I to do? The first few, be filled in the Spirit, says be baptized by the Spirit. Now that raises the other question. Well, then how do I, how do I get baptized? Um, this one says be filled with the Spirit. That is, the Spirit indwells you, but He hasn't filled you entirely. And how you obey this then is to yield yourself daily to the Spirit's control. Very popular view. Maybe the right one. Who knows? Now, let me ask you. This is our time for interaction. Look at the, uh, at the verses in which our, our command is found. What would you point to to support the idea that this is talking about yielding yourself to the Spirit's control? Pardon me? Yeah. That's one of them. Don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. By the way, 18 to 20, I think this is right, Pastor Joe, is one sentence in the original Greek. The NIV breaks it up to help us understand better. But it really is one sentence. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. It's all one sentence. So, the idea of want, the contrast between wine and the Spirit, 
suggests don't be controlled by spirits, as one preacher said, but be controlled by the Spirit. Don't let wine control you, but rather be controlled by the Spirit. So the idea of control is seen by the contrast between wine and the Spirit. Don't be addicted, don't, that leads to debauchery, but rather be controlled by the Spirit of God. Any problems? How would you critique this view? Any difficulties that you see with this view? Don't see any. Actually, it's a pretty good view. Any that you see? This was the view that my mother held to. She used to teach a little Bible club for the kids in the neighborhood with flannel graphs. Actually, I still love flannel graphs. PowerPoint's great, but flannel graphs are great. But I'll never forget, she, would, she, she taught on this one time. And, uh, I mean, I'll just never forget it. By the way, good lesson. You know, kids remember lessons very, very early. I, I've never forgotten this one. She had, a, she had a, a paper heart pinned up to the flannel graph. And she took a little uh, uh, piece of tissue paper. I think it happened to be pink, but whatever. And she says, this is the Spirit of God. And she crumbled it up. She said, the minute you are saved, why well, you receive the Spirit of God. And she pinned it to the heart. But the Spirit of God, though He indwells you, hasn't taken control. So you've got to let Him take control. So she would take the tissue paper and spread it out so it would cover the heart. I'll never forget that. I didn't know uh, really where she got that or where it was found in the Bible much. Later on, after four years of seminary, I discovered, got it out of Ephesians 5. And it's a, it's a very uh, a common view of this, of this verse. And because my mother said it, maybe it's the right one. But it, it doesn't confuse indwelling with filling. It acknowledges that we're indwelt by the Spirit. But that we can suppress the Spirit by our sin, by our actions... Or we can allow the Spirit to fill us to take control. I think uh, this view is, is held also by, the, by uh, the Campus Crusade booklet that I referred to. Putting Christ on the throne and letting Him take control. Uh, in fact, I think they talk about Spirit filling in the, the so-called Blue Book uh, or Dove Book uh, of the spiritual life. So, that's, there's some good evidence in the passage for this particular view. Here's a third one. Sometimes it's translated, be filled in your spirit. Notice small s. This view says what this passage means is to give full expression to yourself in godly worship. Give full expression to your spirit in godly worship. Where would they get this view from the passage? And I'm not going to let Andrew answer because he already answered the first one. Somebody on this side. From this passage, where would you get the idea that being filled with the Spirit means to give full expression to yourself in godly worship? Right. Very much a corporate setting 
And again, if you know, if, if you realize that it's just one sentence, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, sing and make melody or make music in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks. It, all, it, it follows. So, so worship, including singing, seems to be a result of being Spirit-filled. And so, giving full expression to yourself in godly worship. Now, there was a, a, a commentator who articulated this view. is a Lutheran commentator named Lenski. But he believed that the spirit here was the human spirit. And his reason was, is that in the, uh, in the original text, it doesn't say be filled with the spirit. It just says be filled in spirit. And as you probably know, there are no capital letters in the original Greek text. There, or, or they were all actually, they were all capital letters in the original ones. So there was no capitalization scheme. So the decision to translate this capital spirit as Holy Spirit or small spirit as human spirit uh, is always an option among translators. And he believed because the word the wasn't in there, it wasn't referring to the Holy Spirit, but it was referring to to our human spirits. And really the command then didn't relate to the Holy Spirit specifically, but it related to our spirits to give full expression to godly worship. Now, I don't happen to agree with Lenski, because if you do a little study of how Paul uses this phrase, in spirit, not only in his broad writings, but especially in in Ephesians, he uses the word in spirit of the Holy Spirit elsewhere. So why wouldn't he do it here? In fact, any time the word spirit is used by Paul in Ephesians for something other than the Holy Spirit, he always clarifies it, like the spirit of this age or something like that. If it's just spirit alone, it's, uh, it's virtually always the Holy Spirit in every other passage. So, I really believe that it's referring to the Holy Spirit. But I think this view still has some merit. You could say, give full expression to yourself by the Spirit in godly worship. Because of that, those verses that talk about singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Now, so we've got two main views. Yield yourself to the Spirit's control, or give full expression by the Spirit, in your spirit, to godly worship. Okay? Here's the final one. This would be translated, be filled by the Spirit. This view says we do this by becoming saturated with the Word of God. Notice that you're not, this view understands it not to be filled with the Spirit, not that the Spirit Himself is filling you up. But the Spirit is going to fill you with something else. And the question is, what's He going to fill you with? And this, this interpretation says that what He fills you with is a knowledge of His Word. Now, again, look at the paragraph. What evidence would you have from the paragraph that what the Spirit is going to fill you with is a knowledge of His Word? What evidence might you have? Verse 17. Say it for me. Uh, so that you have to be foolish to understand what the will of the Lord is. Right. Uh, even verse 15. Be wise, not unwise. 
And then don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Strong emphasis on wisdom. And often the, the will of the Lord is, uh, refers to the, to the revealed Word of God. So, in Paul's writings and elsewhere. So, you have some... Uh, the very fact that the whole context seems to be walk in wisdom suggests having the discernment and the knowledge to do God's will. And the reference to God's will, which often is used to describe the Word of God, is present there. Now, there's one other observation that those who hold to this view uh, draw, and that's what I call the uh, Ephesians-Colossians connection. The Ephesians-Colossians connection. And uh, Ephesians and Colossians were written about the same time. They were both prison epistles, which meant Paul was in prison when he wrote them. And uh, they are organized, though they have, they have differences, they're organized uh, a lot the same way. And, um, for example, they both have a section on the house toflin, the... Uh, the husband, wives, parents, children, master, slave, which follow these verses. But notice Ephesians 5, which includes our command, be filled with the Spirit, and Colossians 3. So Ephesians 5 says, don't be drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Look at Colossians and notice how similar it is. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to the Lord. Sounds a lot alike, doesn't it? What's the key phrase that's been substituted in Colossians and not in Ephesians? I, I underlined it, so I made it easy for you. <laughs> Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly is said instead of be filled with the Spirit. So this fourth view says the point of this, of, of the ministry of filling, is that the Spirit fills you with something. What is it? He's already there. It's not that He kind of expands within you. He fills you with something. What is it? Well, the context suggests it's the will of God, which is found in the Word of God. And then the, the parallel with Ephesians-Colossians suggests that to Paul, letting the Word of Christ dwell in you richly is equivalent to being filled with the Spirit. Hence, to be filled with the Spirit means to be saturated with the Word of God. Now, um, put on your critic's hat just for a second. What, uh, what uh, weakness might you see with this particular view? And, and it's not that it's untrue. I mean, <laughs> of course we're to saturate ourselves with the Word of God. But with the idea that that's what Paul has in mind in Ephesians 5, what might be a weakness? Uh, she says, perhaps aligning biblical knowledge with spirituality. Remember we, and that's a good point. Uh, remember, we, we warned that just to believe that biblical knowledge will make you spiritual is really a myth. Biblical knowledge is important. It's, it's fundamental, but it's not the end in itself. It has to lead to relationship. 
So that's a good point. That, you know, maybe that would lead to the, to the danger of just exalting biblical knowledge. I think you can get around it, but I think that's a good observation. That's no, a good observation. Yes? Um, if you wanted to say the word Christ, why didn't he just write the word Christ? If you know he can write it, he writes it in Colossians. Why not just write the word Christ instead of making it using Good idea. Uh, I mean, a good observation. Why didn't he say what he wanted to say? Uh, maybe you, maybe the, the proponents of this view would say, well, you know, he, he said it when he talked about the will of the Lord. But, you know, why wasn't he more explicit? Good point. One other observation that's made is, can we be sure the Ephesians would have understood this if they didn't have the Colossian letter? I mean, for us who have both to read it, I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty uh, uh, grabbing. I mean, the, the language is so similar. Uh, and then the structure that follows is similar too, that, that it seems more compelling. But would the poor Ephesians have known that? Because there was no, they would have eventually read the Colossian letter, probably, but they wouldn't at that time. So, that's another, another argument that's being made. Okay, so we have three major views that address the question, what does this mean and how do I obey it? So, let me put these up here. One of them, become empowered by the Spirit, the second blessing, I'm going to kind of set aside because I th- I, I'm not sure that's a very strong position, and we'll just kind of set that one aside. But uh, the second view, which I think is a very strong contender, is it refers to the Spirit's control. And what I need to do is to yield myself to the Spirit's control. The focus here, in terms of my spiritual walk, is daily personal submission to the Spirit of God. Keep that in your mind. The third view is give full expression to yourself in godly worship. And let's adjust that a little bit to say give full expression to yourself by the Spirit in godly worship. So that however you understand the Spirit, why uh, it, it could apply to this passage because of that context of speaking to one another. There it's, the focus is, is not so much personal as corporate. But allow the Spirit of God to, to help you engage in worship when you're together with other believers. Keep that in mind. And then the fourth view, the third one we want to consider, is be filled by the Spirit. Let the Spirit fill you with, in this case, the Word of God. Because the context is wisdom. The context is knowing the will of God, which often is a synonym for the Word of God. And the parallel with Colossians helps us out. Here the focus, again, is personal, but it's knowledge of God's Word. Now, uh, I'll just admit something to you. Um, I've never held view number one, just to be honest. But I have held in my teaching career at some time or another, um, all of the, the, uh, th- the three views below. I hold one of them now, but uh, I'll tell you that in a minute. But I have actually uh, held one of the, the remaining three views in my teaching career. So, if you change your mind on things, why, uh, I've done it too. But I think there's legitimacy to all of them. Uh, I think what you want to do in interpretation is, is come to the view that you think 
is the strongest, and I'll tell you that in a minute. But regardless of which view you see, I think the application of personal submission, corporate worship, and knowledge of the Word is legitimate, because all of those are found in the context. So what I want to do with you for a minute is I want you to interact a little bit uh, with the three focuses, personal submission, corporate worship, personal knowledge. So, let's assume for a minute, and there's good reasons for it, that what Paul means is, yield yourself to the Spirit's control. There are many, many uh, Christian writers, my mother was one, who believe that's what Paul has in mind. Let's assume for a minute it is. How would you, what are ways that, that, that you would go about obeying this? Or if someone were to ask you, how do I yield myself to the Spirit's control? What are things that you would say? How do we do this? It is, isn't it? So it might involve daily reading of the Word. What else? Again, it's a, it's a repeated thing. It's a daily thing. So you're daily yielding yourself to the Spirit's control. How do you do that? Prayer would be a, a natural thing. In fact, that's one of the things that I regularly pray. Father, I, I want to submit myself to you today. I want you to control what I do. I want you to, to, to lead me into situations where I'll have an opportunity to, to help someone, either by sharing the good news or, or helping them grow or, or ministering to them in some way. Give me an opportunity and, and help me not to be so dull that I miss it. But I include that as part of my prayer life. Uh, it's, it's a, in a sense, an act of will. I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm telling the Spirit of God, not anything He doesn't know, but that I'm, I, I want to be submissive to His leading in that way. What else might you suggest? It's helpful. Be honest with yourself in terms of your life. Oh, yeah. Since walking in the Spirit involves... Godliness and holiness, confession is going to be part of that. Honesty. And to say to the Spirit in your prayer life that, you know, there's, there's some things that I, I've got to ask forgiveness for. Or maybe things I have to make right. So certainly confession and repentance is, is important. Good point. Anything else? Kind of get the kind of get the spirit of this of this particular view. It's a very widely held view, and maybe the best one. We'll see. Um, let's take a look at number three: corporate worship. The context certainly suggests that one of the results of being filled with the Spirit is corporate worship, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Um. So, how, do, how does that work out in your church with worship? Uh, 
what are things that you might suggest to someone else or to yourself in order to give full expression to yourself in godly worship? We've had some wonderful music this weekend. We've sung, I don't know if we have sung any psalms, but hymns and spiritual songs and made melody. How does this command help us to understand what we should do in corporate worship? What are some ideas you have? Andrew, you can sit. That's a corporate expression. Um, it's not musical necessarily, but I think it's important to realize uh, that it's that part of that worship is not just music. Now, th- there is a, a musical dimension that's included, but it's speaking to one another in psalms and hymns. That's great. In fact, that gets to a pet peeve of mine that I have. Um, we often have our students lead music in our family chapels at Multnomah. And I, uh, I usually give a message or a faculty person. But every so often we have worship chapels. And the students love them. And to them, a worship chapel is what, do you think? All music. And that bothers me. Because it suggests that our family chapels, where we have music and a message, really isn't worship. So we've got a whole group of students where, to them, worship is music. And then, you know, sometimes we have to put up with a message. And, of course, that bothers me, because I'm the one giving the message. So I really appreciate your point, that, that the full expression of the Spirit is corporate, and it's beyond just music. It can be in small groups where you're sharing with one another and admonishing one another and helping one another. Well, it's a good reminder. What about music? I was talking to Pastor Joe about, you know, what are the issues. And I think music is still, in many churches, a dividing issue. And it's, it's so unfortunate that it has to be, but, but, it, but it is. And uh, so, what would you say about music in terms of uh, of your worship services, of how that can be spirit-led. Or, if you want to be so bold, of course it wouldn't ever happen in, in your church, but how could you have public worship with music that's not spirit-led? Is that possible? How would you know the difference? What would you say? Oh, maybe I'm getting on touchy territory. Well, that's worth thinking about. Yeah, is it distracting? I mentioned to you that there have been times where I've I've uh, been asked to speak, and and the music just left me in dissonance. It left me confused and heavy-hearted, and I was supposed to get up and give an uplifting message. So that's one, that's one criteria. If, it, if it, it should prepare you and, 
And music styles are going to vary from church to church and individual to individual. But does it, does it really contribute? And so you look at the lyrics. That's part of it. Do you, and, then, and then the music itself and, and what, what you want to accomplish. I'm running out of time, so. But that's, that's what we're talking about. Oops, too big. And then uh, become saturated with the Word of God, a personal knowledge of God's Word. Um, whether that's the best understanding of that passage or not is another issue, but most of us could come up with ideas on, on what that means. And regardless of what the passage means in Ephesians 5, certainly the, the emphasis on becoming saturated with the Word of God is a repeated theme of Scripture. And I would simply say, make sure you have a strategy to get in the Word of God. As uh, Pastor Joe mentioned, make sure you have, have some experience in studying the Word outside of Sunday morning. Sunday morning is important. It's important to have corporate worship. It's important to have a good uh, Bible teaching sermon that focuses you on the Word. But, it's, but that Sunday morning alone will never be sufficient to equip you in the Word of God. So, small group, Bible studies really are valuable because that provides application in ways that you might not come up with yourself as others share their insights. But make sure you have some personal study in the Word, as well as prayer. And then, of course, if you really want some intense study, Multnomah University has some great courses for you. Um, just in conclusion, I, uh, at this point in my uh, theological life, I'm inclining to number four. Uh, I think that the parallel between Ephesians and Colossians is pretty compelling. I think the, the Spirit of God so often works through the Word of God. And to me, it makes a little more sense that what He does is He's filling us with something rather than expanding His influence. But I could go with any of those three. And I think the applications from the context are, are, are true regardless of what the passage means. But I'm going to take number four right now. So I'll add it to our four reminders as we close today. Uh, grow in community, grow in holiness, grow in relationship, grow through discipline. Those are the first three. And I would add then from this passage, another reminder about our spiritual life. Grow in knowledge. Remember, knowledge isn't the end, as we've been reminded. But it is vitally important. Saturate yourself with God's Word because that's what the Spirit uses to deepen our relationship with God. He, he has, the, has inspired Scripture. He has revealed His message, and He illuminates our understanding of the Word. And that's got to be part of it. I think it's, it's good to think in terms of heart knowledge, not just knowledge. Yes. Yeah, good point. That's a good modifier. You might even put that in there, into heart knowledge or, and not just head knowledge. That's for sure. Thank you so much for inviting me to come. It's been a privilege to come and to minister to you and to reacquaint myself with many of you and to share some of the things from God's Word. And uh, let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we are so grateful that you have provided these wonderful gifts for us 
Not only have you provided your son, the Lord Jesus, to, to die for us and pay the penalty of our sins and to be our in- intercessor and our mediator at the right hand of the Father, but you've given us your spirit to indwell us and to teach us and to gift us and to enable us. And you've given us your word, which is the foundation for all of our knowledge, both head and heart. And you've given us your body, one another, that sharpen us and hone us and shape us to be more and more in the image of Jesus Christ. May we take just one of these principles with us as we go from this place. And may we begin and continue the exciting journey of becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you.